So this evening, we are in Numbers chapter 20, part 2. Part 2. We, um, we covered last week uh, a few things um, coming to uh, an end as far as the Israelites' time in the wilderness, and they're about to go into the promised land. And so that's the direction that we're going in. We know that the Israelites spent 40 years in the wilderness, and uh, at this point, they've spent about 38 years in the wilderness. Um, Miriam, uh, in this same chapter, in the study last week, um, she died as they came to Kadesh, and um, she died there, and she was buried there. We also saw last week how it was that the Israelites came um, to a place where they, again, were complaining. And uh, they were uh, just coming against uh, Moses, and pretty much we know that to come against Moses is to come against the Lord. And um, Moses got upset. It got the best of them. He got angry. And when the Lord told him, the Lord had told him to speak to the rock this time, prior to this, um, the Lord had told him to strike the rock, the rock. But this time, he told him to basically just simply speak to the rock. Tell the rock to bring forth water. And it will. Well, we know that Moses was, uh, was very upset. He was frustrated. And instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock, not once, but twice. And um, so we covered that. We saw how it was, that that was the reason why uh, Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land. Um, And so the Lord was very clear with them, because you misrepresented me, you will not enter into, you will not lead the Israelites into the promised land. And so we saw that, and then we come to what we're covering this evening, verses 14 through 29. Um, This is uh, where Israel is asking Edom for passage through their land. It was the most direct route to take into the promised land, and what their response was, we'll see that. And we'll also come to the place where Aaron dies. And um, so he goes home, and we see what kind of transition takes place there, as Aaron is the high priest, and that gets passed along to his son. So let's pray, and we'll get into our study. Father, we ask your blessing this evening, as always, Father. We ask for your anointing. We ask, Lord, that you would give us understanding, and uh, Lord, that we would not only uh, gain a better understanding of the text that we have before us, Scripture, Father, Numbers chapter 20 specifically, But, Father, that as we do get a good understanding, a good grasp of this chapter, that you would also uh, help us to translate that into application in our own lives. Father, that it would be a source of encouragement, of wisdom, Father, for our own lives to bring you glory. And so we commit this time into your hands, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's start out. Let's uh, read Numbers chapter 20, verse 14. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, You know all the hardship that we have met, how our fathers went down to Egypt, and we lived in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians dealt harshly with us and our fathers. And when we cried to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. And here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway. 
We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. Let's stop there. This is um, Israel's request. Um, They placed it out before Edom. And uh, so I want to spend a little bit of time in, in these few verses. So, of course, they're in Kadesh. They've been in Kadesh, and now they're requesting um, safe passage through this land. It was time for the Israelites to proceed. Moses knew that very well, to continue making their way to the promised land. And, of course, like I said earlier, the straightest, most direct way to get to the promised land was through this land that was occupied by the Edomites. The Edomites were the descendants of Esau, the firstborn of Isaac. In fact, his uh, twin brother, which was moments um, younger than him, uh, we know to be Jacob, right? Or Israel. Now, Jacob, uh, just to give you a little recap, Jacob had tricked his father, Isaac, into giving him the blessing of the firstborn instead of Esau. And Esau was very angry, to say the least, Uh, I mean, he wanted to kill Jacob. And so their mom told uh, Jacob, you need to go um, until you receive word. Go, And he did. He left. Now, although they later later reconciled, we know that uh, Jacob was in fear, but they they did reconcile. Um, Jacob, even at that time, uh, with Esau, they had this conversation and Jacob had told Esau to go ahead of him and he would meet up with him. Well, he never met up with him. And uh, so they went in two different directions. So they, they somewhat reconciled, but it appears as if they never really completely got over the issue, the original issue. And we kind of see that even this evening in what we're covering so just to give you a little background, as we go into this, this section uh, in this chapter, so maybe we have a better understanding of their relationship between the two peoples. And so at this point, Moses respectfully and diplomatically requests passage through Edom. Uh, the Israelites had been in Kadesh before. This wasn't their first time being in Kadesh. So you can, you can say that they were literally doing circles. They were going around and around. It was in Numbers chapter 13 that the spies, that the Israelites were in Kadesh. Um, The spies were sent out and into the promised land. They went into the promised land. Twelve came back, ten with a bad report, two with a good report. The reason why it was considered to be a bad report was because they came back with unbelief. Uh, They didn't believe that they could occupy the land. Um, a report of unbelief is one that does not trust in the Lord. That we, we think in our minds, in our hearts, that that which we have come to know in our lives are truly giants. And it's maybe too much for the Lord to handle. And that's unbelief. So that was a bad report that was brought back by the ten spies. We know the two faithful spies were Caleb and who was the other one? Yeah, Joshua. Thank you. Good. All right, Joshua. And who's the one, who's the one that uh, brought them into the promised land? Joshua. All right. So those two, they came back with a good report, filled with trust and faith in the Lord and what he can do. And uh, they were ready to go at that time. That was back in Numbers chapter 13. 
And so now here we are in chapter 20, and they're back in Kadesh. It was in Numbers chapter 14 that God had judged the people for their unbelief. Uh, The Lord made it very clear that they had been tested, um, or they had um, tested the Lord with their unbelief a total of 10 times. Uh, And it was those 10 times that they had not obeyed God's voice, and they were judged for that. And we know that in Numbers chapter 13, uh, they, it was that for that reason that they weren't able to go into the promised land. All adults t- of 20 years and older were not going to enter into the promised land. Now they're back in Kadesh, having wandered in the wilderness for 38 years. Can you imagine 38 years? It's like, Moses, I, you know, maybe I'm crazy. I swear we were here before. Not too sure, right? Just 38 years. But now they were here. We're, they were at this point. And they were, they were requesting permission. Passage through Edom. They promised that they would be respectful of their land. That they would stay on the king's highway. They wouldn't veer off to the left. They wouldn't veer off to the right. They would stay on the king's highway. Which was, by the way, if you don't know what the king's highway is. It was a um, trade route that connected Africa with Mesopotamia, which is today, present-day Iraq, Kuwait. Uh, We have the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers in that area. The Cradle of Civilization is is, uh, another way that that area is referred to. And so there was this highway that went all the way through, and it went through um, the land of the Edomites. So you still had to respectfully request passage and see if they would allow you to go through. And that's what they were doing. Now, we need to note that the Israelites promised not to take from the land. They were trying to be up front with um, the king of Edom, with the Edomite people. And they said, listen, we're not going to take water from your land. We're not going to turn to the left, to the right. We're not going to go into your land whatsoever. And it's implied that they would trust the Lord for their provisions. They knew very well, after 38 years, after the Lord having provided for them, that they could trust in the Lord. I mean, it, it, sometimes it takes, we're thick, scold, right? We're, we're really hard-headed. And sometimes it takes a long time for us to finally understand that God will provide, that He is faithful, He is trustworthy. You can go to Him and He will be there every time, right? Maybe it's just me, but sometimes we need all that time. And it's implied here, as they said this, that they will trust God for everything that they need, even going through this land. So let's see what happens. Verse 18, as we continue. But Edom said to him, You shall not pass through, lest I come out with the sword against you. And the people of Israel said to him, We will go up by the highway, and if we drink of your water, I and my livestock, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. But he said, you shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. All right. Well, this isn't how Moses thought it would work out, right? I mean, that is the place where we need to get to. That is the most direct route to get to the promised land. We're ready to go in. Well, wasn't this a door that would be expected to fling wide open? 
it was the Lord's will after all that they make it to the promised land. No? And it wasn't. But it was still the Lord's will to get them to the promised land. So Israel was denied passage. And we can see in this conversation, this dialogue that the Israelites and the Edomites were having going back and forth a bit, that there was some kind of attempt at negotiating with them. And it just didn't work out. Israel promised that, okay, we won't drink water, but if we do drink water, we will pay for it. Anything that we touch, anything along the way, we will pay for it. I would think that Moses was making every attempt to secure that shorter and, by the way, safer route to the promised land because it was safer to go through there. Although it didn't seem like that was the safest way to go, especially when the Edomite army came out in large numbers to meet with them, right? But it was. Overall, the terrain was a lot better than what the alternative was. And so, of course, Moses was trying to secure that, that way to the promised land. But what we see here is that Edom obviously did not trust Israel. Uh, there was something that just, you know, they, they didn't like about Israel. We know from their past, from their history, that there was a little something going back and forth. Perhaps that came up. I don't know. We're not told. But Edom made sure Israel understood perfectly that this was not up for discussion. No further are we going to discuss this. No matter if you're going to pay for the water. No matter if you're going to give us a little something for your passage. We're not going to discuss this anymore. In fact, they made it very clear as they dispatched a large army, numerous warriors to come out. And confront them. And I find it interesting that that was where we need to get to. You come up against us, but the Lord is on our side. But Moses said, no problem. We're going to go ahead and turn away. We'll go another direction. No fight, no insistence. And if we note here, he didn't even consult with God. There was no going to the Lord on this one. He just turned around. Moses and the Israelites simply turned away. You see, the way around Edom was very long and was very dangerous. The long journey actually became very discouraging to the Israelites. We know that from the next chapter, chapter 21, verse 4. They became discouraged as they set out by the way of the Red Sea, going around. We need to also note as we went through those verses that Israel had called Edom a brother and even treated them with respect and honor. But of course, we see how it is that Edom behaved like an enemy of Israel. They didn't want him to go through at all. Israel actually demonstrated great restraint and a God-honoring response to Edom by turning away and confront them. God didn't tell them to confront them other than perhaps requesting safe passage. And so the Israelites, Moses leading them, said, no problem, we won't go that way. They're refusing our passage, and so we will go 
that long way around by the Red Sea will come around. You see, there are times when we are to stand up to confrontation, to opposition. But there are other times when it is actually godly wisdom to stand down and turn away. And this, is, this was one of those times. This is, this is a moment when the leader of the Israelites, when Moses was discerning that this was not the time to continue to push forward and insist that they go through this land. It was time to turn away. You guys have heard the, the saying, you know, uh, choose your, or pick your fights wisely. Is, is that what, how it goes? Is it? Choose your battles. What's that? Choose your battles wisely. Yeah. Not pick your fights, right? You guys don't pick fights. <laughs> Sometimes we do. Sometimes we pick fights. But yeah, choose your battles wisely. You know, some are just not, not worth it. We know how it's going to work out. And it's not good. It's not, and it's not honoring to the Lord. And so, again, we see, even in this example, how it is that every situation is not the same. It, it's not like this cookie-cutter life. And every, every like, I've been here before. I, I said this, I believe, I don't know if it was Sunday or Wednesday. But we come to this place to where it's like, okay, we've been here before. And I know how to handle this. Well, don't forget to consult with the Lord and handle this in a way that is fitting for this situation. Just because it appears to be like another one doesn't mean that you are to respond in the same manner. Maybe you didn't, maybe you turned away last time, but this time, you know what? It's time to stand up to the confrontation. Maybe it's time to lay down the truth and not turn away. And so I I would encourage you to seek godly wisdom, to seek the Lord in your situations. Because there are times, as we see with the Israelites, that they are told to go in and occupy the land. For the Lord has given the enemy into their hands. So we need to discern those moments. And this is quite a a great example that is set before us. And in James chapter 1, verse 5, It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Let's continue. Verse 22. And they journeyed from Kadesh and the people of Israel. The whole congregation came to Mount Hor. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor on the border of the land of Edom, Let Aaron be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to the people of Israel, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar his son, and bring them up to Mount Mount Hor. And strip Aaron of his garments, and put them on Eleazar his son, and Aaron shall be gathered to his people, and shall die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded, and they went up Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation." And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar, his son. And Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. And when all the congregation saw that Aaron had perished, all the house of Israel wept for Aaron 30 days. 30 days of mourning. I don't know. It'd be be pretty amazing to be told that this was it. 
This is, you've lived 123 years, Aaron. And uh, it's time for you to go up on this mountain with, with Moses and your son, Eliezer. It's time to pass the torch. Time to, to give it that which was your responsibility and that which was given to you. It's time to pass it on to your son. I think it would be pretty amazing. I mean, how would we respond? We don't see any kind of uh, pushback from Aaron. We don't see that here. We know that Moses was obedient to the Lord, and he did exactly what the Lord had asked him to do. You see, Miriam and Aaron were Moses' brother and sister. Miriam had already passed. She had already died at the beginning of the chapter. Now at the, in the final verses of chapter 20, we see how Aaron dies and is gathered unto the forefathers, um, those which have passed before him. They are still on the border of Edom. They have not gone into the Edomite land. They avoided entry. Mount Hor was the place where God told Moses that Aaron would die and that the priesthood was to be passed on to his son, Eliezer. And so Moses stripped Aaron of his priestly garments, just as God had commanded him to, and they were given to and put on Eliezer. And they then, Moses and Eliezer, came back down the mountain And this was all before the people. All the people knew exactly what was going on. It was all before the people. They were completely aware of what was going on. And the people mourned the death of Aaron, as we see here, for 30 days. Numbers chapter 33, verses 38 and 39 says, And Aaron the priest went up Mount Hor at the command of the Lord and died there. In the fortieth year, after the people of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt, and on the first day of the fifth month, And Aaron was 123 years old when he died on Mount Hor. There was uh, two historians. You might be familiar with them. One was Josephus. He was a Jewish historian. Uh, His life uh, spanned beyond 106 AD. And the Greek historian, uh, there was another one, a Greek historian. uh, He was a Christian historian, Eusebius. And he lived around AD 300. Now, it was Josephus that had recorded the destruction of the temple, which took place in the year 70. And this was, by the way, prophesied by the Lord in Luke chapter 21, verses 20 and 21. And so Josephus was very close to the time of the Lord, and he recorded that which the Lord had prophesied. It was the Greek historian Eusebius, that referred to Mount Hor. In fact, both of them did. They referred to Mount Hor as Jebel Haran at Petra. Jebel Haran means mountain of Aaron. And today there is a tomb or a mausoleum, if you will, on the top of Mount Hor, which is regarded as the tomb of Aaron. It'd be pretty awesome to, um, to travel there. You know, all these places, I was looking on the map and seeing all the places that the Apostle Paul had had traveled to on his missionary journeys. And I think it would be pretty awesome to take, take those routes and go to the different areas that, that he had traveled and definitely the places where, the, where our Lord had traveled. You know, it gives you a whole different perspective. You see, you see the, land, the lay of the land and how everything is situated. And it gives you a pretty awesome perspective, especially as you read the Word of God. And so, 
as I was uh, studying and, and, uh, and I saw the writings of Josephus and Antiquities and Eusebius, how it is that they refer to this mountain as the mountain of Aaron and how today there's even a tomb there in honor of Aaron. And it is said that that is where he is buried. Now, what we know is that there isn't much recorded about the time that the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. There's not much recorded. We have about 50 chapters um, for the bookends, but the 38 years in between, there's about a chapter and a half. That, that's about it. The whole time that they were wandering in the wilderness, and perhaps it's because nothing of great significance happened during that time. Nothing was really accomplished in that time. They were years in which God provided for them, and He sustained them. We know that their, their chanclas, they didn't wear out. You guys know what those are? The sandals. Their sandals didn't wear out. Their, their clothes didn't wear out. Um, the Lord sustained them, provided food for them, provided water for them. All of those things. That was of great significance. And they, and they knew that very well. But they, the people, did not accomplish anything that was really significance. Nothing really great. Nothing to write about. Because if so, you know that it would be in the Word. It would be in the Bible. The wilderness, that was the place that's known to have housed the bones of the people of unbelief that were not to enter the promised land. We know that because the Word tells us. During that time in the wilderness, the people were busy moving, but they never really arrived anywhere. And so it wasn't a time worthy of covering and writing about. Otherwise, again, I believe it would truly be in the Bible. The question is, what caused Israel to experience a life of suffering without any real significance? A life known for wandering or traveling aimlessly, meandering with little to no purpose whatsoever? The answer is, as it's been given to us in the Word, is disbelief. Rebelling against God. It came to a, a place to where the people of Israel <clears throat> were not known for much during those 38 years. Solomon, the wisest man on the earth, said after he had done everything under the sun, he tried everything. And he said it was all vanity. In other words, it was all it was all empty. It's not fulfilling. It's not truly satisfying. Perhaps for a moment, but even that was, was fleeting. Couldn't be grasped. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. This is the final portion of Solomon's writing known as Ecclesiastes. He says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This was a man, again, that had done everything. Talk about traveling. This man traveled. He had made our millionaires today, billionaires, look like they were poor. Um, possessions and 
horses. He had quite the army. And in fact, he had, what, 700 wives, 300 concubines. And the Lord had warned him not to not to do these things, not to accumulate horses, not to trust in horses. It would be like today trusting in the army, in our military, to be our, our defense. When we know for us as Christians that who is our defense? It's the Lord. He's the one that secures our place with him, right? There is no way, there's no effort, there's no military that can do the very thing that the Lord could do and he has done. And he has secured a way to be with them forever. It wasn't done by force, it was done by surrender. The surrender of a life, Jesus Christ on the cross. And he accomplished that. So we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so if anyone would know that all of this is vanity, it would be Solomon. And he said, hey, fear God, keep his commandments. This is man's all. What we have before us is that this man, Aaron, he dies. But what is the one thing that the Lord said would continue on? That is the priesthood. It would continue on. The man may die, but the priesthood, the Lord says, and he promised it would go on forever. It is the office of the priesthood that goes on and continues to serve God's people. And we know that is passed on to his son, Eliezer. Although the people mourned the death of Aaron, their relationship with the Lord was not dependent on Aaron, but solely on the Lord himself. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, it says, Since then we have a, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we praise God for that. Our high priest is one that can relate to us in every situation. He is one who is closer than a friend. He is one who um, has demonstrated his love toward us. And he is the one, like I said earlier, he's the one that secured our way and our, our, our ability to be reconciled unto the, the Lord by his sacrifice. And so, in closing, there are a couple things to consider. Number one, Does your response to opposition or difficulty depend on how you're treated? Secondly, what is your significance and purpose in life? And the second part of that question is, how is it proven? Because we can can say a lot, we can proclaim, but unless there's something that comes along with it, Something that, that proves it. Well, James said it very clearly. Faith without works is dead, right? And so, he was saying, yeah, you, you, you speak your faith, but how is it that it's, it's demonstrated? How is it known? Well, there's something called an act of faith. You've got to put feet to faith, right? Well, how, show it. Show me. And so there's got to be 
something in your life that as you say, this is my significance and purpose in life. And we know as Christians, our significance is not found in the accolades and the encouragement of the world. We don't find our affirmation in the world. We actually know that our significance is in Christ. We know that our purpose in life is to glorify the Lord, to bless Him in this manner. And that's how we prove it, by living those things out. Joseph, Joshua, Nehemiah, Daniel, these were all men who experienced very tough opposition. And if, you, if you've ever studied these men in the Bible, you would know that very well. They experienced very tough opposition and difficult circumstances, but they knew that their significance and their purpose was found in the Lord. And they persevered with godly integrity and honored God with their lives. It didn't matter at what cost that would come. They simply gave themselves wholly devoted and committed to the glory of God. And so I leave you with those thoughts, and I am going to read a few verses here in Philippians. But I leave you with those thoughts, because what we have before us is that very thing. And and like I said, I always pray that the Lord continues to, to grow us in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we continue to mature in the Lord, that we would not be the same today as we were yesterday and tomorrow not as we are today. That we are continually in a place to where we're growing in the Lord. That when we come across um, passages in Scripture, these verses, that they do make us think. They help us to understand the character of God and it reflects in our lives. So I'll leave you with this. And that is Philippians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And this is my prayer for you. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant to you grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.